Maybe it's just as well that we didn't sing because I have a lot to read here tonight. I want to read chapter 5 to you. Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, which if you read the little note, if you have a Bible like mine, it says forefather. In other words, this wasn't his direct dad, but it was probably his grandfather, which his father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, in order that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Now, just a little of a historic situation. This is in the time called the Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar had come in and taken the people of God, captured Jerusalem, uh, taken the, the treasures out of the temple, and also taken some of the best uh, people from Jerusalem and the surrounding area back to Babylon as captives to train them up in the ways of the Babylonians. That was how David or how Daniel got into this situation. Well, this uh, Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, was calling for these various gold and silver uh, utensils that had been taken from the temple of God because he really wanted to make uh, a mockery of the God of Israel and uh, use these sacred vessels uh, for unholy, unrighteous purposes, which was basically to um, use them to drink their uh, wine and alcohol out of. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. In other words, it was obvious what they were trying to do. They were trying to make a mockery of the God of Israel uh, using these uh, sacred vessels from the temple in Jerusalem for uh, unholy purposes. And then they, in the midst of that, they praised their own gods, the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the back of the hand that uh, did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hips joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. In other words, he was pretty scared when he saw this. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpret interpretation to me will be clothed with purple, have a necklace of gold around his neck, and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. And all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. Now, this was probably the queen mother. 
um, not his actual wife, queen, but probably his grandmother, who uh, would, uh, was quite old, a bit older than he was. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and the nobles, and the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar had renamed Daniel to try to change him into a Babylonian, convert him over to their way of living, their religion. In fact, the name itself, uh, Belteshazzar, was uh, this B-E-L was equivalent to the, uh, it was a Babylonian form of Baal. So he gave him a name after his one of the gods, the Babylonian gods. Uh, but of course, just to change a name doesn't change a heart. And Daniel had purposed in his heart not to go the way of the Babylonians uh, from the beginning. Well, let's just uh, clear back. Let me just bring this out here in uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, right after it talks about uh, Nebuchadnezzar renaming Daniel, giving him the name Belteshazzar, uh, it says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food. In other words, he determined to not go the way of the Babylonians in the midst of this crooked and perverse environment that he was in. So, uh, I think it is significant that 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 was when Daniel, uh, I don't know, we don't know for sure, he probably was a teenager when they took him into captivity. This, what we're reading right now, uh, he's probably 70 years old. He's survived a number of rulers uh, in the situation. And I think it is significant that by this time, even though... Um, this queen mother mentions that his name had been changed. What they call him now is Daniel. Said, let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you, that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom has been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make it its interpretation known to me, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. 
Now, if you are able to read the inscription, make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make make the interpretation known to him. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. And because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him, whoever he wished he killed, and whomever he wished he he spared alive, and whoever he wished he elevated, and whoever he wished he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from the royal throne, and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind, and his heart was made like that of beast, and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven, until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind, and that he sets he sets over it whomever he wishes. You remember the account there of Nebuchadnezzar basically going crazy for, I think it was, how long was it? Seven Seven years uh, out in just acting like a crazy man, eating grass and and uh, basically irrational. But he came to his senses and realized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Now here's the, here's the indictment. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. He knew about what had happened to his his uh, grandfather. Instead, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you not see, hear, or understand, but the God in whose hand are your life breath and your ways, you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written out. Now this is the inscription that was written out. Mini, mini, tikel, ufarsen. Something like that. This is the inscription of the message. This is the interpretation of the message. Meaning, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. To Cal, you have been weighed in the scales and found deficient. Pierces, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave orders. And they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him, concerning him that he now had authority, over, uh, authority as a third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius, 
the Mede received the kingdom at about the age 62. So this message tonight centers around these words here that mean numbered, weighed, and divided. Numbered, weighed, and divided. And I just want to bring out some uh, thoughts from this account here of chapter 5. Daniel's name means God is judge or God is my judge. Now they tried to change his name into a name after the uh, the uh, gods of the Babylonians, Belteshazzar, which means may Baal protect his life. But as I said before, just because they changed some outward thing about Daniel, what matters is the heart. And God had given Daniel a new heart. He was a child of God. Now you can see, even in the the contrast, I mean, you have two people here that have very similar names. You have this king, uh, Belshazzar, and you have Daniel, who was given the name Belteshazzar. Just two little letters uh, different in the name, and yet there's a world of difference between the two men. Uh, what's the great contrast? Well, the great contrast has to do with who they worshipped. And that's really the dividing line for all people. You're either going to worship the true God or you're not. Uh, You're either in one camp or the other. You're worshiping the God that is the creator of the universe or you're worshiping some false God, some idol, which was what uh, Belshazzar was doing. The gods of gold and silver and wood and stone Uh, So that's the first thing I think we can just glean from this. There's just two groups to be in. And uh, it has to do with who you worship. The second thing I'd say is uh, that this Belshazzar was a man given over to self-indulgence and pleasure and pride. I mean, that comes out in the first... Uh, verse of what we looked at here. Uh, here he is drinking wine in the presence of the thousands. I think he was making a show of his uh, drunkenness, his drinking. Um, he was a man, I guess, that would be characterized by what they say, wine, women, and song, although the song part isn't necessarily uh mentioned here, it does say they were praising the gods of gold and silver, so there may have been some some type of song associated with that. But he was a proud, arrogant man. And uh, here was a situation, the actual um, historical situation was that the Persians had already surrounded the city. And yet here they are in this drunken feast, um, seemingly uncaring. And the reason they could do that was because they thought uh, the walls of this city could not be scaled. They thought they were behind uh, a fortress that was 
impossible to be taken. Uh, the, the accounts of Babylon are incredible. If you read about the walls and the, the armaments and everything that they, they had, they had enough food in the city for 20 years. Plus, the Euphrates ran through the city, so there was no problem under the walls, into the city, there was no problem with water, they thought. Plenty of water, plenty of food, plus nobody could scale the walls of the... It's like 200 feet tall walls around this city. Uh, 30 or 40 feet wide, chariots could cross, you know, bypass one another on the top of the walls. There's no, no problem, you see, with this Persian army around the city. Well, uh, one commentator said that uh, this Belshazzar was feasting when he should have been fasting. The, uh, the fact was that this was the last day of his life and he didn't realize it. Uh, they were partying in the midst of a situation that was uh, very, very serious and they did not take it seriously. And he was a proud person. And one thing that a proud person does is that they take credit for what God has done and do not give God the glory that he deserves. That's part of what pride is all about, taking credit for what God has done. I mean, if you happen to be the ruler of a great nation like this man was, how did you get there? Well, it's because God put you there. It's not because of your great skill, wisdom, military abilities. Those are the things you would look at. But God says that's not the way it is. That's not the way it was for Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he had to find out the hard way. That's what this man should have known from what was taught to his grandfather. And yet he ignored it. So, a proud man. So there was this sense of false security because of what he thought he had built up and what he had around him there in Babylon. Well, so basically they were eating and drinking and being merry in the midst of a very dire situation. Now, we're not told in this account how it was. It just all of a sudden, after this handwriting's on the wall and uh, Daniel interprets it, all of a sudden, boom, He's dead. Belshazzar's dead. Same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. We're not told in this account how that happened, but we do know from history how that happened. Let me just tell you briefly. The Persians figured out a way of diverting the whole Euphrates River. I don't know how they did it, but they diverted the whole river, which ran under the wall, which meant that they could, the army could go in on the riverbed and march right into the city. So what they thought was one of their great strengths, the fact that the Euphrates ran right through the city, was actually a great weakness. And they were conquered in one night, basically, uh, something that uh, they thought was impossible to, to happen, happened in one night. So um, they thought that they were so secure and they were actually very vulnerable. And that's the way we are. 
if we don't have some sense of our own frailty uh, and the fact that one one night could make the difference, we're missing the reality of life. And this was a whole uh, a, a king and a whole a whole kingdom that was missing that. Well, um, let me go on here. Another thing I think we should notice from this account is that Belshazzar knew what he was doing. He knew it was wrong, but he chose to sin anyway. And again, I bring that out there in verse 22. Yet you, his son, this is Daniel speaking to him, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. He knew what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar. It was very clear why it happened and what happened, and yet he didn't heed that. He went right on in his pride and arrogance and lived a selfish, indulgent, sinful, prideful life. And uh, he was being judged. Judged in accordance with the light that he had. His death was not without warning. And that's the way it is for every person. God gives them some light and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's true. Uh, this uh, You could say this was a heathen king. It was a heathen king. And yet he had some light. He had quite a bit of light, especially because of what God had done with Nebuchadnezzar. Well, we can just say this, that men are not going to be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know. I didn't know I was doing wrong. And God has not left himself without a witness even for someone like this Belshazzar. If they are ignorant, it's a willful ignorance that they have. They choose to block out the light that God gives. Well, uh, this is actually it was a lesson from history that Belshazzar should have learned. I mean, it was historical information that he uh, should have heeded that he didn't. And that's true for us, too. There's so many lessons from history, even apart from biblical history. There's so many lessons from history that people don't heed. One person said that uh, the only lesson we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. And people make the same mistakes over and over and over again. We have ample evidence just from secular history, not, not even from the Bible. We have ample ev evidence from history that pride goes before destruction, that the way of the transgressor is hard, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, but still individuals and nations continue on their foolish, sinful ways. Uh, one good example of that is, is uh, the ample evidence we have from the accounts of people who have pursued fame and fortune and found fame and fortune 
and still were miserable, unsatisfied, um, dying in despair. There's ample, ample evidence from history that happening over and over again, and yet people still continue to think if they had fame, if they had fortune, they'd be satisfied. Even if without the Bible, just looking at lives. I was just reading about this uh, Harold Hughes today. Uh, what an example. Billionaire. And yet just totally dying in despair and misery. Uh, but that, the point is, is that um, people do not learn from others' folly and foolishness. Well, Daniel, because of what God had done in his heart, was not like that. He knew what lessons he should learn from God, from his word, from history, and even his name, as I pointed out before, it meant God is my judge. He knew that all things were naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, there's, a, there's an accounting. There's going to be an accounting. These people were living like there would be no accounting day, no judgment day. Well, along this same line, I want to point out again that God looks at the heart. Um, Nebuchadnezzar had tried to change Daniel by changing his name and using the name of a false god. But that didn't change Daniel because it didn't change what was down deep reality there in his heart. And uh, the world can call you all kinds of names, but what matters is what God thinks about you. Uh, they might, I mean, they might use flattery to try to sway you over. I'm sure that was used on Daniel. But that didn't change what was real in his heart. If, if flattery doesn't work, they might try the opposite thing and use ridicule and call you some different kinds of names. But what, what is going to be real is what's real down in the heart. So that's what you are before God. That's what you are. Um... Daniel was Daniel, and, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar couldn't change that. Belshazzar couldn't change that. The whole Babylonian Empire couldn't change that because of what God had done in his heart. Um, it's not what men say concerning you, but what God says concerning you. That's what matters. Uh, You have in Belshazzar a example of a man, a godless man, who after much reproof continued to harden his heart over and over again. And God says to him, in the end, this is what he says, you're numbered, you're weighed, and you're going to be divided. You're numbered, you're weighed, and you're going to be divided. Well, what's that mean? Well, numbered. God has appointed a definite time 
for every man and nation. That's true for each one of us here. Each one of us are numbered. We, it's determined where we're going to live, how long we're going to live. Our, the very hairs of our head are numbered. We're numbered. We're also weighed, measured out against something. What are we measured out against? Well, I think one thing is God's law, God's word. We're in the scales. Here you are. Here I am. Here's God's law. Does it balance out? What we are in terms of the law of God, God's law, far outweighs what we are. You just, you don't have, just take one law. Just put the over on this side right here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do you do on that? I could add another one. You should love your neighbor as yourself. How does that, do you balance out there? Well, nobody does. Apart from the work of Christ for us and in us, there's no way. So we're numbered, we're weighed, measured against God's righteous standard. Uh, all outside of Christ stand condemned. And then divided. There's going to be a great division. For nations, I think that happens pretty much in this life. Because as far as I can understand, the judgment in terms of national sins has to be upon that nation as a nation. And that can only happen in this life. Uh, take, for instance, Hitler's Third Reich is supposed to last a thousand years. Well, that was according to Hitler's numbering, but God had a different number. It lasted about ten years. And it was weighed in the balance and found wanting. And it's divided off now. It's not around. That Nazi Germany is gone. What about America? Well, I don't know all the answer to that, but I know one thing. If we measure our nation by the law of God, we are very much wanting. I, I don't know how long God has for us yet. Uh, may not be very long. That's for nations, but these things are true for individuals, too. Each one of us are numbered, weighed in the balance, and there's going to be a great division. Well, in some ways, I think the handwriting is on the wall. If we think of, uh, back to our, our nation, uh, it, one of the one of the judgments one of the judgments that was taking place here before the nation this Babylonian empire went under one of the judgments 
that you can see very clearly was they were surrounded by the Persians and yet here the people were and the king and the nobles and everybody were in there getting drunk. They had no real concept of the danger and the moral uh, uh, decay and corruption that their nation was in. And that's, that's part of judgment right there. When you don't see the peril that you're, you're in or your nation's in. Uh, basically, they were in a stupor, a drunken stupor, in the midst of uh, the whole nation being taken over. And if you think about the lack of discernment in um, much of what goes on in our government today and the courts, uh, I'd say that's a, a very similar situation to what Belshazzar and these people were in at that time. Uh, no discernment, no sense of the reality of judgment being upon them. Well, let me just sum up here by saying this, that uh, this whole account, uh, one thing, if you don't get this, you're missing the overall thing. This whole account speaks of the sovereignty of God. Uh, he raises up, basically what's happening here is he's raising up a heathen nation and using it to accomplish his purposes, which in this case meant the punishment of Israel for their sin. And then he's judging the heathen nations for their sin. That There's no other name for that but the absolute sovereignty of God. He raises up nations, he brings them down, he, he uses them for his purposes, then he gets rid of them. It's... Uh, the work of the Almighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All history, all of history, is the outworking of God's purposes for His creation. I mean, this is how we have to view history. It's just the outworking of what God has determined to bring about uh, for His creation and then especially for His people through His Son. Another thing we can say from this account is that human wisdom is inadequate, unable, and unwilling to understand the handwriting on the wall. He, he brings in everybody that should have been able to understand this situation, all the conjurers and wise men and sorcerers and everybody else that, he, that should, he thought, should have the answer. And none of them had the answer. And that's so parallel if you listen to all the people that supposedly have the answer to uh, the, the needs of the nation or the needs of individuals, they don't have the answer. They have the wrong answer. They don't see the spiritual. They don't see the moral realities that are so important to understand what's wrong with my life and what's wrong with this nation. They have not, they have not a clue and that's the way it was in the situation there. So, 
I think there are some parallels here uh, from something that uh, happened, happened 2,500 years ago uh, to what happens in every person's life today and what happens in every nation also. Some very clear parallels. Uh, well, I would just say that in closing, if as Christians, young or old here today, when God puts you in a situation, and we're all in these kind of situations, where the world tries to rename you, it's trying to squeeze you into its mold. If God has changed your heart, there'll be something down deep in you that just won't let that happen. And you'll know that you're not, even though they may say that you're Belteshazzar and you're dedicated to this other God, you know deep down where your real allegiance is. And that's to the one true and living God. God is your judge, not the world and not these false gods. So we need to do as David did where it says he made up his mind. Actually, the literal there is he set his heart upon uh, not defiling himself with the ways of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Well, I'll, I'll stop there.